Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever it is you're listening from. This is the Sheridan Show with Chris Sheridan on basketballnews.com. I'm really pleased to be joined today by an old friend of mine who's a longtime sports business writer for Bloomberg, has now opened a new site called Sportico. It's it's really the hub to go to for uh, a whole bunch of uh, anything you want to know regarding sports business issues. And uh, Scott, welcome to the show. And let's get right to it. Uh, you had a uh, an NBA valuations uh, committee meeting yesterday. And uh, had Michelle Roberts in there and had Adam Silver in there. And let's start with Adam Silver and NBA expansion. You know, there's been a lot of talk that Seattle is a lock uh, for the next expansion team. Uh, And then it comes down to maybe Kansas City, maybe Louisville, um, could be Las Vegas. Uh, uh, There are a lot of cities that would like to have it. There are not a lot of billionaires who would be able to pay the money. And uh, Adam Silver told you that... uh, 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 a fee, uh, an expansion fee of 250, uh, uh, two, excuse me, $2.5 billion might be a little bit low. What are we to make of that? There's never been a franchise that sold for that much money. Yeah, well, I, I, first of all, hello, Chris. I mean, you and I go back, what, 25 years competing against each other on the NBA beat. Nobody better than you at, at sniffing out news and information. So thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Um, what I make of it is that These assets, for many reasons, whether it be the media contracts or the real estate that's tied to them, or uh, maybe the financial instruments, their incubators that are part of teams now, like the Sixers Innovation Lab, that the value of the whole entities has risen so high that if we're right and the average franchise is worth $2.4 billion, and that's what my guy Peter Schwartz tells me, and the Knicks are over $5 billion and the Warriors are over $5 billion, and you're going to let somebody new in the club, don't you think that they would have to pay a premium on the average price? Because Seattle, let's just use Seattle because I think they are a lock to get a team, uh, the second city, who knows? Uh, But if you're going to let them in, they have to pay some sort of premium. Because remember, Chris, you're now divvying up the pie. You're diluting the equity in the league, so to speak. There's only 30 of these teams. So if you're going to go from 130th of all the revenue that goes in your pocket to now 132nd, that's diluting the revenue you get. If you're going to let somebody new in the club, they're going to have to pay. But it's not like a payment just to get money now because people need money from COVID and things like that. You got to bring a market in that's going to help make the overall revenue pie grow in the long term so that everybody shares in the growth of the league 
five, 10 years more down the line. And, and let's look at a couple of the cities. Uh, like you said, Seattle seems to be a lock. They have a new arena out there. There's plenty of money. Um, they even have a name, the Supersonics. You know, when the Thunder left Oklahoma City, they, they gave up the, uh, that franchise name and even the franchise records. So like Dale Ellis's three-point record and Sean Kemp's scoring record, those remain Seattle property. It's a little-known fact about the uh, the Thunder and the Sonics move. But well, you, you have a Chris. You know, it's you're not guessing. You have a ready-made fan base. You know what you're going to do in Seattle. They are thirsting for professional basketball again. It's a great basketball town. Um, just so happens that Howard Schultz, the CEO of Starbucks uh, at the time, you know, he wanted a new facility, and the taxpayers wouldn't pay for it. So, I mean, that, that's the age-old story in sports. He. He wanted to use somebody else's money. And I'm not saying wrong or right. It's just the way it was. And Seattle at the time said no. And he sold the team to an entity that was going to move it out of state. And so it went. Yeah. And uh, what about Las Vegas? Uh, there's certainly plenty of money in Las Vegas. And it's a 24-7 uh, uh, work cycle out there. There's always people coming into and out of town. Uh, and it's, a, it's the only really still three-shift town in America uh, they got the Raiders. What about a, uh, an appetite for basketball? Uh, I, I, we've both been out there for USA basketball. We've both been out there for summer league. We know mm-hmm. that uh, people come, but those people are not always from Las Vegas. Those people are often tourists. Yeah, that's okay, though. You would obviously have your marketing deals with all of the casinos, and that would be part of packages. So you'd have a, a probably a smaller than, uh, I would say, routine season ticket base, but... I would not worry about people going into the building. Uh, again, though, this is just going to depend on how much you're going to have to pay. And if 2.5 billion is low, you look, what are you looking at? Three? There aren't that many folks that can cut that check, which is why, and I know I don't know if you want to go in this direction yet, but that's why, as, as you know, the NBA has recently relaxed its rules about institutional capital coming in, understanding that as these assets go priced higher, that some of these folks are going to need some capital if, if they're going to sustain that growth. Um, they've got private equity firms coming in. Uh, who knows about sovereign wealth funds down the line? We'll see. But it isn't just limited to that one really rich person and the traditional limited partner anymore. Yeah, there's only so many Joseph Sai's out there. Speaking of Joseph Sai, he's got he had a situation on his hands with uh, one of his three-star players, Kyrie Irving. Uh, and Kyrie finally came out and spoke yesterday. Uh, he'll be back playing for the Brooklyn Nets tonight when they play the Cleveland Cavaliers. What was your take on kind of the whole situation of Kyrie going AWOL for two weeks? Oh, look at you asking me to comment on basketball matters. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I think. Um, I think the Nets are now well, – let me look at my numbers. I'm looking down. The Nets are worth $3.4 billion. That's what I think. I think the Nets have the opportunity – because I think they were 11th in revenue. Think about that. To be worth number four, 3.4 billion, but only 11th in revenue. If this thing works, if this threesome works and they win, all of those numbers will go up. And I think with Kyrie, listen, what's the best indicator or best predictor of future performance, both as a basketball player, off the court team? What's the best predictor of future performance? The past, right? You know what you're getting with Kyrie. You support him the way you can. You've got two plus. You've got a culture in Sean Marks. They, they, they brought that Spurs culture in. Perhaps we'll be tested with Kyrie. We'll see. But 
He's back. He didn't want to talk about it. Certainly, it seems as if he's got support from management and ownership. That's the most important piece. Like, I don't think Kyrie cares about what many fans think. I think he cares what Joe Ty and Sean Marks and his teammates think. And they seem to be welcoming him back with open arms. Yeah, Kyrie is definitely an interesting, complicated, uh, and, and well-educated, well-spoken guy. He spoke, yeah. talked in circles uh, quite a bit yesterday, but once he got going, he, he warmed up a little bit, and you can kind of see where he's coming from. You know, he, Ky- Kyrie has done a lot of good in this world, Chris. I mean, I know athletes get slammed for if they don't show up or whatever. I, I get it, but Kyrie's done a lot of good. Nobody has questioned whether Kyrie is doing anything maliciously. So if this is the, the support, if this is the route he has to go, if you watch the, uh, the documentary on the Jordan Bulls, right, there were, there were certain uh, allowances for certain players, you know? And if that's okay within the culture, within the team, the coach, the GM, the owner, if that's okay and if it works, so be it. Then you make certain allowances. Yeah, well spoken, uh, Scott. Let's turn back to, to NBA franchises and uh, another story that came out of your your NBA ownership conference yesterday. Michelle Roberts, the executive director of the NBPA, the Players Association, spoke and said that the players would like to have an equity share uh, in the teams. Now, this would not be a new concept. There's a lot of profit sharing and, uh, and a lot of companies uh, – get their employees on board by giving them an ownership stake. Uh, no, no matter how small, they still have a piece of the team. Mark yep. Cuban's always said that's going to be the, going to be the one uh, of the long-term cures for the American economy. Um, give people not only their money, but also a piece of the company and they'll be that more committed yep. to being, uh, to being on board with making it a stronger company. Um, Michelle was talking about uh, putting this into the next collective bargaining agreement. The current one runs, through the 2023-24 season. So we got a ways to go. And Michelle, this is going to be her last year. Uh, so is she kind of setting the table, do you think, for whoever takes over as the next director of the MBPA? Or was this- yeah, I, I think she's sort of signaling to the players that this could be the dawn of a new era. And what she told us is that historically, when these valuations come out, that at least one or two players would call her up and say, wait a minute, whoa, 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 how much? You know, but we've reached a point now and sort of an awareness of players of off-court matters where they, they really are embracing the business of not only basketball, but sport and media and tech, as you well know, that these guys are now stakeholders in the industry. And what they're seeing is, yes, salaries are going up. I get it. But there's been this rocket ship growth of franchise valuations. And the owners will say, well, that's fine, but I don't realize that money until I sell and I'm not selling. Okay. I mean, that she understands that, but at some point, control stakes do sell. That just does happen. And she's trying to see if there's a vehicle and she understands the, the salary cap and, and how there are circumvention issues. She doesn't think it will be easy. She just doesn't think it's impossible. And what she said is, if they are now opening up investment opportunities to private equity, to venture capital, to outside sources. Why not us? If it's not an individual player, why not the Players Association as a source of capital in the aggregate? We can do it as an investment vehicle. So I think she's really, yes, sounding, sounding the bell to her successor and to the players to pay attention what's going on 
and to see that perhaps there is a path to what they have probably talked about ad nauseum inside, and that's real uh, being a stakeholder, partners, and owners in the NBA instead of just employees. Scott, uh, let me give you a, a, a quick one. Um, how much money are NBA owners losing uh, as this pandemic drags on and on? And there's 25 buildings that do not have NBA fans. I, would, I was down in Orlando last week to, to attend a game with fans. I saw that the Magic are indeed pulling it off, um, uh, but they only had 3,500 people in the building. Um, yeah. it, what it's looking like now is we may have to go through another season with no fans in the buildings. Uh, in a pure dollars and dollars and cents terms, how much money is the average MBA owner? Yeah, let's do it in percentage. You know, obviously, full steam, you're getting 100% of revenue you know, in the, from the different sources. And that's eight-plus billion dollars in, in, the, in the aggregate for the league. Adam said that gate is about 40% of that. And all that's included. You know, if you don't have fans in the stands, you don't have merch, uh, at least in arena merch. You don't have hot dogs. You don't have parking, those kind of things. So you're losing about 40% of your revenue. Uh, and that's a tough hit. And Wick Grosbeck, the owner of the Celtics, he also joined us yesterday. And that is one team, Boston, that you'll note does not control its own building. That's controlled by the owner of the Bruins, you know, Jacobs. So he said, if there ever was a year not to control your facility, this is it. And then you would have to go on the other foot from the worst case scenario. You look at the Warriors who spent all that money on a new facility and they have debt service to pay off. And of course, a lot of it was going to be paid off with revenue from the building. Alas, though, there are no fans and they're, and they're not bringing in that money. So you have to look at each situation to understand how much revenue came from the building in the first place and how much did they keep? Um, how much did they spend? What's the debt service? So I wouldn't blanket it with a, a number that every team is losing, but, uh, and this will be the most simplistic statement ever made, Chris, uh, as you know, it's not the best situation for a team to not have its customers in its facility when in essence they're in the live, live entertainment business. Yeah. And we'll see when it comes to an end, hopefully sooner rather than later, because I think all of us have pandemic fatigue, but at the same time, we all got to find a, find ways to keep ourselves busy, keep doing our jobs. And, um, and while we remain socially distant, we all also got to keep in touch with each other and make sure everything's copacetic. Yeah. Well, you did, see, you did see Adam Silver float the idea, and he's in discussions, the league's in discussions with the Biden administration uh, about NBA players, and they don't want to term it as jumping the line for vaccination, but they are prominent members of the community. You know, LeBron James, Steph Curry, they can reach and influence a whole lot of people. And if there is a reluctance in the general population, whether it be the, the black community or anybody, uh, not to get vaccinated because of any mistrust issues. Having LeBron publicly get a vaccine like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did, uh, or having Steph or having KD sit there and publicly say, look, I got the vaccination. I'm a pro athlete. I'm out there playing no side effects or limited side effects and everything's okay. There's great value in that. So those discussions are happening, uh, whether it, it comes to fruition or not, who knows. But what the NBA doesn't want is the perception of, sort of the, the, the elite athlete jumps the line and gets something that everybody else doesn't. But if there's a trade-off and one that pays dividends that in the estimation of the public health experts, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the NBA teams would raise their hands and say, our guys are more than willing to show up and get vaccinated with the cameras rolling. Yeah, it would really help because there is a lot of resistance uh, around the country 
even around the world to, to getting vaccinated. Yeah. The vaccines are new. And um, look, there's look, anti-vaxxers have been out there for a long time. But I kind of agree with you and Adam. Uh, you put a couple NBA NBA players on camera getting vaccinated. It's not like watching a politician get vaccinated. It's something- no, right, because you don't see the politician. I mean, if, if I can see LeBron get a vaccine and then the next night he's dropping 50, 40, 30, whatever it is, say, oh, OK, LeBron looks to his big, healthy, strong self. Maybe it's OK. Yeah. He's Scott Soshnick again. He's the, uh, the founder and the editor in chief of Sportico. Uh, I encourage you to check it out. Sportico.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Sportico. Uh, if you want to know anything about sports business and the sports business industry, Scott has opened uh, the go-to site uh, to find out everything that's going on from NHL, NFL, baseball valuations to NBA lines of credit. This is how I keep in touch with the, everything that's going on on the business side of, of the league that I've been covering for a long yeah, time. Yeah, you, 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 you don't even type in sportico.com. You just call me. <laughs> well, I'm a fan <laughs> guy, too. <laughs> and you know what? I pick up for you, my man. Yes, these things still do actually make phone calls. So, <laughs> uh, with that, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up the show. Scott, uh, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, I wish you continued success with Sportico. Uh, again, I'm Chris Sheridan. You can follow me at Sheridan Hoops on Twitter. And uh, this is the Sheridan Show for BasketballNews.com. That's gonna be a wrap, Scott. We'll see each other down the road. Got it, my friend. Thank you.